Hi Freedom Church, uh, it is so good to be with you. This is our third in the series of Faith, Hope and Finally Love. Um, I want to give you a massively warm welcome if you're joining us from YouTube Live. It's so good to have you with us as Freedom Church. Today I want to ask a question. I want to start by asking, have you ever been in a physically threatening situation? For me, I grew up in biker. Well, I like Biker Grove and all that spuggy. Um, and you know, this was a, a rough neighborhood. This was the second roughest neighborhood in the whole of Newcastle. And I learned very quickly that I had to be on my guard regularly because every time I stepped out the door, there would be a gang who uh, would approach you wanting to either have the money that you have on you or they wanted to fight. But I remember one particular incident that stands out for me that I felt particularly threatened in. And uh, this was actually in the center of Newcastle and I was in a shopping center with a friend of mine, and we were probably about 12 years old at the time, and we were looking through a shop window, uh, and from behind us, a group of kids, about probably 15 of them approached us, and they were about 14 years old, so they were a little bit older than we were. And um, one of them asked my friend what the time was, and as he went to look at his um, wrist with his watch on, they slapped a pair of handcuffs, a real pair of handcuffs, on his wrist there. Uh, and they thought this was hilarious. Um, and what they pursued to do was to grab the other end of the handcuffs and to drag him around uh, this top floor of the shopping uh, centre. Uh, we soon realised we were in quite some trouble here and people around us re recognised there was a commotion going on. Um, and they thought it would be a great idea to drag us outside of this shopping centre. So they started pulling my friends down these staircases to take him outside of the exit. And uh, as I tried to rescue him and dive in, I was getting punches to the face. As he tried to resist, he also was taking punches to the face uh, as they were determined to take us outside of this shopping center. And people were coming up and down the stairs. And I think people were probably very intimidated by this large group of kids. And so they didn't dare step in. And as we got to this last flight of stairs before we were gonna come to this exit, uh, there was a, a young mother with a toddler coming up the stairs and she saw what was going on. And um, she actually got right in there. She started screaming at them to let us go. Uh, and specifically my friend, who was handcuffed um, to this other guy. And um, she actually ended up smacking him around the face uh, to get him to let go. And they eventually did and we got away. And she was essentially the savior that day for us we didn't know what to expect if they'd managed to get us outside of this shopping center, but we were, we were pretty much expecting a, a big beating by this group of kids. So why am I telling you this story today? Well, actually, we're going to be looking at a, a very familiar story in the Bible, but one that I think is really particularly misunderstood. And uh, I believe that this is a story uh, where there's a threatening situation happening. And it involves this guy called Zacchaeus. Uh, lots of you will know that name. Uh, but I believe that he was dramatically rescued by Jesus. Um, and I believe Jesus put himself on the line, just as this lady did for us. Jesus put his own life on the line uh, to rescue Zacchaeus. So we're going to read, if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 1 to 10. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not 
because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and, and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possession to the poor. And if I had cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. So today I just want to simply ask three questions uh, from this story of Zacchaeus. And it's firstly, who was this Zacchaeus? Uh, what did Jesus do? And what was the consequence? So firstly, who was Zacchaeus? Well, there are certain things we find out in this passage about him. We find out he was a little guy, he was short. Uh, and that's one of the things most of us know about Zacchaeus. Uh, he was a tax collector, which means he was probably rich. So just to try and help you understand, tax collectors worked for the Roman army to gather taxes um, and they would collect money from their own people group. So Zacchaeus was a Jew and he would have been collecting money from his own people group to give to the Roman army. And for this reason, he would have been despised. He would have been hated. He would have been rejected. In fact, his whole family, um, everybody who was linked with Zacchaeus, uh, would have been considered unclean. In fact, lying was even condoned towards tax collectors. Tax collectors were put in a certain bracket. They were put in the same bracket and paired with the same brush as a sinner in that day. Uh, we know Zacchaeus was probably wealthy because tax collectors would deceive and lie to people about how much they truly owned uh, to them. And he would do anything to make sure that he got his money. And of course, he had the whole Roman army at his beck and call to come in and threaten um, whichever family or person or business that he needed to if they didn't pay up what he was telling them that they owed. And it reminds me a little bit of um, the mafia films that we see out there with these protection rackets that they force people to pay uh, money to look after their businesses. And the problem is when we watch these films, um, we tend to um, watch them or we tend to read a story about this and we naturally have a natural inclination to associate ourselves with the goodies in any story. I know my kids do it as they watch Avengers films. Uh, they love the goodies there and we all want the baddies to get what's coming to them, don't we? And um, I think there's something in our human nature that likes to view ourselves as the goodies in any story. But the Bible's quite clear actually and this story helps us to understand that Actually, uh, we are like Zacchaeus in this story. The Bible tells us that we are inherently um, selfish. We have an inherent nature to look after self. And it tells us generally that we're not good people. And so I want to just tell you a story um, of a boy who uh, helps to illustrate this story. Um, and it's a boy who's obviously in lockdown with coronavirus and he wants a bicycle to go out and ride on. And so he gets down on his knees and he starts praying to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I really, 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 really want a bike. And um, do you know what? I'm, I'll be absolutely perfect for the next week uh, if you just give me a bike. 
during lockdown. And he gets back into his bed and he um, starts thinking about the week ahead and he thinks about all the, the fact that he can't go out more than once uh, a day because of lockdown. He starts to think uh, of all the things that his mother's been asking him to do, all the jobs that she's asking him to do because he's not at school. And uh, he rethinks this situation. So he gets back down on his knees and he prays, Jesus, Jesus, I really, really, really want a bike. For the next 24 hours, I promise, I promise I will be perfect. And he gets back into his bed and he starts thinking through the day ahead and he starts thinking about the homework that he's, he's going to be getting from school and his mother's going to want to sit him to sit down and do that. He gets to start thinking about the bickering that he has with his sister. And uh, so he gets up again, he puts his clothes on and he walks down the stairs and out of the house and crosses the road to a little chapel that's just on the other side. And he goes right the way into the chapel and he walks up to the altar and he takes this statue of Mary and he walks right the way back over the road into his house, upstairs, into his bedroom, opens his cupboard, puts Mary in the cupboard and he gets back down on his knees and he says, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, and now we have it. This story is to illustrate that actually none of us uh, are as good as we hope we are. We genuinely, uh, biblically, are not good people. And so none of us watching this, including myself, can see that say that we are perfect. So secondly, what did he do? What did Zacchaeus do in this situation, in this story? Zacchaeus did two things that would have been cultural taboos. So firstly, he ran ahead of the crowds. And secondly, he climbed a sycamore fig tree uh, to see Jesus since he was coming that way. And just to say, in Middle East, Eastern culture, Zacchaeus was wealthy um, and he obviously had a career. And for any Middle Eastern man to run, one was off limits. That wasn't something that you would do as a Middle Eastern man. But definitely climbing a tree was shamed on. You would never climb a tree. This is what a child would do. But a respectable man, a wealthy man, would never climb a tree. So there's something going on here in this story that automatically the readers would have known in their culture that some, this man's doing something that he shouldn't be doing. And it's because he's desperate for something. He seems to be searching. He wants to see Jesus. And here is a man who has wealth and power. And yet there seems to be something in his life that he's not satisfied with. He's lacking something in his life. And... As we know, we've hit this current crisis on planet Earth with this coronavirus. And I think this idea of searching for something has never been more evident. OK, we have stock markets that have collapsed. We've had millions of jobs that have been lost. And even our own prime minister, arguably the most powerful man in the whole of Britain, has had to lay down his role because he's become this close to death. And I think the desire to find meaning in all of this has never been greater. But I also think before the crisis, this desire has always been there. Robbie Williams, uh, the famous musician, uh, in his song, Feel, he says this. I just want to feel real love in a life ever after. There's a hole in my soul. You can see it in my face. It's a real big place. And then if we look at the world of high society, we have Prince Charles. And he says, for all the advances of science, there remain, remains deep in the soul a persistent and unconscious anxiety that something is missing. And finally, Jim Carrey, the actor, 
He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. All of these guys that I've mentioned have material wealth. Um, they have as much celebrity fame that can be beckoned for, and yet there's something they're all searching for, something they're aware of that they're missing. And I think it's a spiritual dissatisfaction going on in their lives. And so often, our whole society ends up worshipping created things that cannot satisfy, rather than the creator God who truly satisfies. And this is the same for Zacchaeus. In this story, we see a man who worships money and power. And it's not satisfying him. He's still searching for something else. What we can be sure of is that although Zacchaeus would have been wealthy, I guarantee you he would have been pretty lonely. And the reason that he climbs this tree isn't just because we find, we find out he's small and too short to see over the crowds. Actually, when we read Middle Eastern scholars, they tell us that he would have been so afraid to enter a crowd out of fear of being stabbed in the back. He was so hated amongst his people group that he wouldn't have dared to have stepped into a crowd of people, uh, of Jews, out of fear of being killed. And um, it's important to know just some cultural things uh, to help us to understand this story. It's important to know about the tree, that this was a sycamore fig fir tree. And it was this was a um, tree that was easy to climb. It had really dense foliage, so it was easy to hide in. And the other thing that scholars suggest about this tree is that they weren't planted centrally in towns uh, in Middle Eastern culture. They were on the outskirts. They were as you exited or entered into the towns. And um, so we know that Zacchaeus is uh, in dense foliage, hidden in a tree on the edge of a town, potentially waiting to catch Jesus as he exits the town. So the second point, what did Jesus do in the story? Verse one, we find out he entered Jericho and was passing through. Again, understanding the culture is so important at this point in the story because Jesus, is, we're told, is passing through the town. And we know from Luke's gospel that we are very close to the triumphal entry here. Jesus isn't far from his death. Um, and actually, he is probably traveling at this point um, to celebrate his final Passover with his disciples. But, you know, hospitality is a huge part of the culture in Middle Eastern culture. And Jesus was a celebrity by this point, you know, three years of ministry. And he's passing through their town and they would have been preparing for hospitality. They would have expected to have had him stay in the town. And they would have been hoping that, you know, here he is, this honoured celebrity, that he might just stay over and eat with them. But this wouldn't have been a case of, oh, well, listen, whoever's first, you ask him and see if he'll come to your house. The whole town would have been in on this and they would have decided who's going to get this honour. Who is the person that is going to get Jesus come to their town? Who's worthy enough in this town to host this celebrity Jesus? And just to say, we certainly know this would not have been Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector, as we know, and he was unclean. And uh, his house was unclean. And in their culture, if you'd have entered an unclean house, you would have become unclean with it. So the very thought of Jesus entering the house of a tax collector, a sinner, would have been unfathomable. OK, so. What do we find out? We find out that Zacchaeus, he runs on ahead. He climbs up this sycamore tree uh, to see Jesus from waiting for him to pass by. 
And as we said, we know that this tree is on the um, edge of town. And it means we know that Jesus probably refuted, he turned down their request for hospitality. And we know from scholars that probably that you've got this crowd following Jesus through the town, trying to persuade him to come and to stay overnight and to teach them. And yet Jesus is convinced he's, he's traveling through the town. He wants to get to Jerusalem. He wants to enjoy the Passover with his disciples. And um, this crowd's with them. They've got to the edge of the town. And suddenly we see, we're caught up in this scene where Zacchaeus is up this tree. And um, do you know when there's a crowd around, it's much easier to blend in and shout threats without being personally noticed, isn't it? And um, actually Zacchaeus is up this tree on the edge of the town waiting to find Jesus. And he's in this profoundly threatening situation. He's hated by the Jewish nation and he's actually shamed hiding up a tree. So you can imagine out comes the mocking. Ah, there's that Zacchaeus. He's up the, he's up the tree. You can imagine stones starting to be hauled up this tree. And so what does Jesus do in this situation? Well, you know, we've seen Jesus throughout the Gospels. We've seen him responding with such care and compassion. Actually, we see him a lot of times standing up for those who are oppressed, uh, those who are poor. And so you might expect Jesus to start actually rebuking Zacchaeus at this point. You know, something like, Zacchaeus, you're a collaborator. You're an oppressor of these good people. You've robbed them and betrayed your own community. What are you doing? It's horrifying. You know, if you want to make things right, you need to um, you need to give up your job. You need to repent of everything you've done. You need to journey to Jerusalem for ceremonial purification. You need to return to Jericho and and apply uh, yourself in um, and working this off. And if you're willing, and only if you're willing to do these things, um, will you be able to uh, make things right? And, you know, if Jesus had made that speech to Zagace at this point in time, I think the whole crowd would have, you know, been in delight. They would have been clapping. They would have been cheering Jesus on with great applause. But actually, that is not what happens in this situation. Instead, Jesus steps in and he invites himself to the house of a tax collector. And as I've outlined earlier, this would have been like a red rag to a bull. What Jesus does in this act is he shifts the crowd's hostility, their rage that is towards Zacchaeus, and he takes it on himself. And this was a massive, costly act of love that he does. He stands in the way of their anger and he knows that this is going to cause the crowd to become angry with him instead. You know, he doesn't have to do this, Jesus. After all, Zacchaeus is a guy who swindled this town out of much money and he's used the Roman army to intimidate others. And yet Jesus loves him and he puts his own life at risk by stepping in and um, taking the anger of the crowd on himself. And, you know, this isn't the first time that we see Jesus doing this. He does this on quite a few occasions. We see him stepping in to take on the anger of a, of a crowd who want to stone a woman who has committed adultery. And Jesus steps in and says, whoever hasn't sinned, cast the first stone. It's interesting to know Jesus doesn't, he doesn't endorse what Zacchaeus is doing, but nor does he ostracize 
the oppressor in this situation. So thirdly, how did Zacchaeus respond in this situation? Well, do you know, Zacchaeus has received this very costly love from Jesus. That's totally changing him. And we see in this story that he's never going to be the same. And there's something that we glimpse here that is rarely recorded. So we must take note of this point. We actually get to see the response of his love. We get to see his transformation. You know, when we look at other things in the, in the New Testament, what does the prodigal do the morning after the banquet? We don't know. Is the older son willing to join the banquet? We don't get to find out. What radical changes can be expected in the lifestyle of the wounded man who was rescued by the Good Samaritan? We don't know. But here in Zacchaeus' story, we're privileged to see his response. And you know what? He pledges off his own back to clean up his financial act towards this community. And it's not a case of Jesus hasn't told him he has to. It's not beating him with a stick to do that. He responds in his own way because now he wants to follow Jesus. And because he's been the recipient of, a, of this costly love that he has experienced, because he's been valued and loved by Jesus, he now chooses to respond with a love that is actually going to be costly to himself. The very community that he has harmed and profited from, he now wants to bless. And to repent literally means to go in the other direction. And so he goes from swindling this community to giving back, to loving them, to protecting them. And so we see this final word delivered by Jesus. And he says, today salvation has come to this house. Do you know, salvation has come to this house of Zacchaeus today, then someone's bought it. And we all know in this story that the actor is Jesus, who that very day took salvation to the house of Zacchaeus at great cost. And when we read the story, we often pick out the wrong things. What would have actually stood out for the early church, knowing their culture, was not this act of staying overnight or staying at Zacchaeus' house, but it was actually diverting the anger, the wrath of the crowd away from Zacchaeus and onto himself. Now, I started today by sharing a story from my childhood that was really quite threatening at the time. And I hope we can see, just as I've talked about Zacchaeus, that he also is in a very threatening position. But I want to say the Bible tells us that actually, even if we don't see it or know it at all, that we're actually in a highly threatening position. One that will actually lead to eternal separation from God. One that will be full of fear and pain and turmoil. One that we can, in and of ourselves, do absolutely nothing about. And it comes back to the story of this young boy. Sin has separated us from God and selfishness threatens to destroy us. It threatens to consume and condemn us. It threatens actually to kill us. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. But, and I want to say this, it is a big but. We know that the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
I want to say, folks, this is good news. God did not leave us helpless in this life-threatening situation. He sent his one and only son to stand in the gap, to literally take the punishment that we deserved, to deflect the righteous anger of God that was meant for us onto himself. Sin had to be dealt with. Death had to be defeated. And God so loved us. Especially, I want to say, those who have messed it all up. Those who recognise that they've fallen. Those who recognise they need a saviour. Who recognise they cannot fix what's going on in their lives by themselves. And he has brought salvation to all who allow him, not only into their homes, but into their very lives. And I just want to be clear, God doesn't want us to try and clean ourselves up before we come to him. But Zacchaeus, we see him after spending time with Jesus, he is totally transformed. He's undone by the love of Jesus. And you know what? He's no longer remembered as the miserable tax collector, but he's become a friend of Jesus. And he has learned to love others around him. He's learned to love with a costly love that he's experienced. So you might be sitting in your living room today with your pyjamas on, having your cup of coffee in the morning, and you might be reflecting on your life and recognising actually some of the messes that are there. You might recognise the need for a saviour. Um, and you're asking the question, just like Zacchaeus was, how do I do this? I want to say just simply, just as Zacchaeus uh, accepted Jesus' invitation to his own house. He didn't get proud. He didn't get defensive. I want to say, Jesus, no matter what has gone on in your life, no matter whether you're hated, whether you hate yourself, whether you feel like you've let people down, Jesus today would invite you to let him into your life. He would invite you to let him to lead your life. He would invite you to know him personally and intimately. And um, he would invite you, not because of what job you do, not because you've stood outside and clapped the NHS, not because you're obeying the self-isolation rules that are there, but simply because he loves you and he wants you to know the security and love uh, of eternity with him. And so if that's you, you can ask him right now. And if you want someone to help you with that, we would love you to contact us on our Facebook page, you can contact us at info at freedomchurchliverpool.co.uk and we would love to pray with you and talk to you about who Jesus is and explain the beautiful love that we've experienced. And I just want to say for you guys who know Jesus, who invited him into your life, actually, uh, we're meant to be Jesus to other people. And there's this sense of us being able to express this costly love that we've all received. And for that to happen, there's a sense of continuing to enjoy him, continuing to get to know him, continuing to be in awe of the love that he has lavished over us. And we're not just meant to do nothing with that, just as Zacchaeus stepped out and, uh, and came to his community and said, this is what I want to do for you. There's a sense for us as the church that we're to express the love of Jesus to others, this costly love. That will cost us. It will cost us our time. It will cost us our finances. It will cost us all sorts of things in our lives. Uh, but 
Jesus has done it all. He has laid down his life for you and I. And so we get the privilege of working out his love to others. Folks, I can't wait to see you all in the flesh at some point in the hopefully not too far distant future. Just to say we're praying uh, for all of you at this time, for these in this strange season, that you would continue to uh, get to know God. You would continue to be amazed by the encounters that you're going to have with him in lockdown. God bless.